in the Here we go, guys. everyone and welcome to the mac and jack sports show today is our debate show as we bring in our special guest host paul dr paul semendinger uh to help mediate me and jack as we do every saturday we're on 8 to 10 a.m every saturday debate show as mac and jack is live 8 through 10 a.m thursday through sunday live on youtube uh, roku tv and facebook and what we'll, what we'll be covering as we do every Saturday, folks, is we'll be we'll be covering uh, older topics along with modern day topics. Of course, it's all it's all our opinion, but we'll give you some kind of basis for our opinion. And a lot of times, uh, people will take the wrong opinion just to make it a good debate. But we'll we'll give you good reasons for it. I'm happy, so, Matt. Let me just cut in that you use the word opinion. It drives me crazy when people say things are fact, when it's their opinion, one plus one equals two, that's a fact. But yes. when someone says, I think he's a better quarterback than such and such, and that's a fact, it drives me crazy, Mac. I agree You've with done. it. I've done it, you said? Yeah. The only time I've told you it's a fact is when I know for sure. And that's very irregular, Jack. So I don't use fact as a uh, as a talking point i use it when i'm absolutely sure of something and that doesn't happen too often so before we get into the debate folks i like to throw something out at the guys and this is going to kind of be relevant to our debate and i want to talk a little bit about um what makes a real rivalry right i mean the the biggest rivalries and we're going to keep it to the United States because that's where the interest is. I don't care about Nadal and Federer. Trust me, I don't care. I think they. I think it's a good rivalry, but it's not interesting to me. And I don't think it's interesting to a lot of people, maybe some, especially tennis fans. So for the purpose of this, there are a few sports that really have real rivalries, right? Person to person. It's very hard to do. We had the old rivalries in tennis. We did have them when we had McEnroe and Borg. You know, we had Connors and McEnroe. We had Martina and Chris Everett. Um, you know, boxing, there's rivalries because it's all one-on-one, -on -one, right? I mean, it's a that's a rivalry. Most rivalries they call rivalries are team rivalries. You know, I mean, you could say Boston and, and the New York Yankees. And so it's not a it's not a rivalry one-on-one. -on -one. Right? And they try to make this comparison in football sometimes. They say, well, Brady and, and Peyton Manning. Well, they never played against each other on the field, right? They never did that. Their team beat their team. 
And you know, Peyton Manning went against the Patriots offense. The Patriots went against the uh, the the Colts uh, defense. So that's not really a rivalry. You could count the stats, but it really doesn't. It doesn't really concern a rivalry. And there is one team sport that is ultimately a chance to have a rivalry. And I I don't count soccer or hockey because they actually have a defense setting, right? You got your fullbacks and and your halfbacks in soccer that are primarily defense. You've got a few defenders, a goalie, and, and and the defenders in hockey. So you do have a setup, but in basketball, you don't. Basketball is the only team sport I can think of where you can have a one-on-one rivalry. You play offense and defense almost simultaneously, right? As soon as that ball is turned over, you turn from offense to defense. There's no time in between, really. You know, and, and of course, baseball – you have your offense against a defense. You have, you know, you come in and then you reset your defense and you bring your pitcher out. Same thing in football. But basketball, the beauty of basketball to me is, is that you have to be able to be good at two, two things to be a, a great basketball player. We don't talk about the defense of basketball nearly enough, but you have to be able to do two things for right away. It's amazing to me. And that's what makes basketball to me great. And I, I really can't think of many basketball rivalries like there used to be. We're going to be talking about a couple of them. But Jack, and, and I know, Doc, you're not a you're not the biggest basketball fan right now, but you would hear of something like this. I think we've lost that in basketball somewhat. I can't really mem- remember a rival, say, to Michael Jordan. Right? There was no one great player versus Michael Jordan that played constantly. Kobe was in there for a second and, you know, a couple other players. But Michael Jordan was normally against a team, right? The team had to stop Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I mean, who was really Kobe Bryant's rivalry? Rival? Don't know. Mac, I could – let me just say something with that. The rivalries but, used to be greater – in the earlier years of the NBA, because there were less teams, players would play against one another more. Now with expansion, there's so many teams, two of the biggest stars, let's say Giannis and Kevin Durant, for example, how often are they going to play against one another to develop an individual rivalry? So I think we talk more about team rivalries than individual rivalries. Well, the rivalries we're going to talk about for the most part, weren't even in the same conference. So, so I, I mean, I understand your point, but the two rivalries we're going to talk about didn't play in the same division for the most part. I mean, for a, a small term, two did. But really, they were in different conferences. So it became a rivalry when they seldom played and in championships, Jack. Well, I, I think that's the point. I think those were championship rivalries between great players who were legendary players for a specific team. And I think one of the things, again, I'm not a big basketball guy, but I think one of the things that happens is all the players move around so often that maybe if LeBron had stayed with Cleveland, like he would have represented Cleveland and then, and then the city would have stayed behind him and and it would have been, like he is Cleveland playing against uh, he's the represent representative of Cleveland. So Magic becomes the representative of LA and uh Larry Bird becomes the representative of Boston. 
And when they play, it's those two big teams represented by that one big guy going against each other. I don't think you necessarily have that anymore. That's a great I think point. it's the players, but it's the players that make the rivalries. The Yank- the Red Sox and Yankees are both extremely relevant. They both won the playoffs last year, and they played against one another, but it didn't have the same effect as, let's say, close to 20 years before when you had all the ca- cast of characters, Pedro, Schilling, Manny Ramirez, Clemens and on and on. You had to cast the characters, you know, to pit against one another. Now the Yankees and Red Sox, you know, you don't have those guys battling with one another. You know, they're not as confrontational at all. I mean, but in the past, I mean, you got the feeling they really didn't like one another. And in the old days, the Brooklyn Dodgers and uh, New York Giants, I mean, what a rivalry, the way they would taunt one another, they'd be bench jockeying and all that. I mean, you had true rivalries then. I mean, listen, two cities have it now, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Look, the Dodgers and the Giants are great rivals. They played in the playoffs. I mean, both won 107 and 106 games, respectfully. Dodgers beat them by one run in the decisive game. And then they play in football. The San Francisco 49ers against the L.A. Rams to see who go to the Super Bowl. 49ers beat them twice during the year. The Rams win the playoff game. Those cities are tense, and unfortunately, the fan behaviors carried over to an extent which has been highly distasteful. But the point I'm trying to make the rivalry between those two cities is tremendous right now. Another great point. Another great point. So maybe we got something still out there. I mean, uh, you know, you look at Baltimore and Pittsburgh for a long time. The Ravens versus the Steelers were a big rivalry, right? That's kind of faded off a little bit because, you know, of, of people changing the one team getting bad and the other team getting. But then when they play, it's still venomous. I mean, it's still they're hitting each other. They, they It's hard to win those games. But, I, you know, when I look over, for instance, LeBron James, I mean, who's his rival? It, as Doc said, if he stayed in Cleveland, say, and Durant stayed at one team, then maybe we would have had something there. Maybe we could have had LeBron pitting up against Durant. Maybe we could have done that. But we don't have that anymore, really, guys. LeBron does have a rival right now, and you're going to find this astonishing what I say. It's Michael Jordan. Everyone is pointing out what Michael Jordan's done. And LeBron even admitted he's kind of chasing Jordan. That's not a rival, Jack. That's not a rival. That's a comparison. I mean, that's not really a rival. I'm talking about a guy that plays, that playing, currently playing with somebody at the same time. We don't really have that anymore. You mentioned a couple teams. I'm not really talking about teams. Good points, though. And I think Doc brings up a tremendous point. Because nobody stays in the same place too much anymore, and I think that's that has a lot to do with it. Because if you're if you all of a sudden this was your kind of getting to be your rival and you're playing the same team next year, that's gone. I mean, I think I think listen, I think the Greek Freak and Durant could come out to be a great rivalry if if they keep playing each other. I think guys don't want the feedback from social media like years ago. Yeah, I love that. John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors rivalry. John McEnroe said at one point when he was at the top of his game, he modestly said, I think I'm the best tennis player in the world. And when Connors heard it, he said, you tell that SOB he'll never be number one as long as I'm around. 
I love that talk, okay? It's all fats, all inbounds, but now it's social media. If someone says something, well, I think I'm the best, they're going to get so much flack coming back at them. They don't want the aggravation. Oh, I, I don't know about that, Jack. I, I think a lot of them like the aggravation, to tell you the truth. Uh, sometimes bad press is good press, right? I mean, at least you're staying relevant. But anyway, I just it just kind of I miss those days where we actually, you know, would turn in and, and tune in and see something like that. We, we really don't have that anymore. You might have it, but not realizing we have an East Coast mentality. You have to keep that in mind. The Midwest, from what I hear, and I can't feel it, the Cubs and the Cardinals have a great rivalry. Whenever they play, it's a big thing. I mean, I mean, the Cubs aren't that good at the moment, but that supposedly there's a great rivalry between those teams. I mean, that's, that goes back from the Chicago Cardinals, right? Isn't that, I mean, that's what that goes all the way back to, right, Jack? When it was the Chicago Cardinals and Chicago Cubs, Chicago Bears and the Chicago whatever. Isn't that what that's, isn't that what that right? I, I don't think the Cardinals ever played in Chicago. Who was the, the, the baseball? I, it might have been the football Cardinals. I don't but the I don't think yeah, the baseball the Cardinals. Cardinals. Yeah, yeah okay. okay. Okay, there you go. Well, the team name, you're right. So yeah, anyway. I mean, that's still go, that goes on when they go. Listen, the Buffalo <laughs> Bills and Kansas City Chiefs. Don't tell me that hasn't now turned into a rivalry that the Bills really want to get over the top and beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. And I maybe mean, to, yeah, maybe to the Chief fans, the Bengals start becoming a rivalry because they beat them the last couple of times this year. I don't know. It's, it's got to it's got to be more than one year or, or a couple times, Jack. It's got to be something that goes on for at least five. And I'm six glad years. you made a great, great point, Mac. And I want to uh, praise you for this. And most people don't realize Brady and Manning. That was never a rivalry. In the sense, they never played. They were never on the field at the same time. They were never competing against one another per se. And most people, you know, they talk as if they did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 just a totally different thing. That's like saying that you know that uh, you know there's a rivalry between uh, you know Big Poppy and 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 you know whoever from the Yankees you want to name. Uh, they're definitely not playing each other. They're batting separately, and uh, you know, I don't know. But I, I hope I hope we get something like that in the near future. It makes sports a lot more fun, I'll tell you that. And it, whatever sport it is, I hope we start getting them rivalries. And I know you're right, Jack. We do have an East Coast mentality. But guess what? That's where we live. So Well, after Clemens hit Piazza in the World Series, that kind of turned into kind of a little bit of a rivalry whenever they hit again, Piazza hit against them. Everyone took notice. I don't want to be mean, but that rivalry is only in the Mets, in the Mets mind. So... Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can do. So let's get this debate started. Uh, Topics, like I said, are old to modern, and we go back and look at some history things, and we look uh, to today, too. And the first one um, is historic. And as I was talking about rivalries, it was two of the greatest basketball rivalries that most people lived through. Some have not. So some people don't understand how big rivalries this was. You had um, Wilt the Still Chamberlain, an unbelievable scorer, take over a game by himself, rebounder, just tremendous. I think he still has the highest average per game 
in the history of, of basketball with, I think, 50 points. And he went up against some people call the greatest basketball player ever, and I'm one of them, and that's Bill Russell. Bill Russell, who was a champion, um, uh, a champion for, I don't know, nine years, two as a coach, player coach, was one of the best defenders and rebounders in, in basketball history, kind of ran that team on the court. And those those two going at it were unbelievable. Fast forward into the 80s. And s- since the last, I think it was the playoffs in college, I don't know, was it the final championship, Jack, between Bird and, and Magic Johnson? Well, they played college. Yeah, they played. Yes. It. So yeah, since when- then, um, and as Doc said, these guys stayed with their teams. You know, you had Magic Johnson, who ran the Lakers' uh, offense as point guard and a tremendous player. And you had Larry Bird, who was practically a point forward. He would he he would have as many assists as a point guard would. Tremendous shooter, tremendous competitor, and they went at it quite a bit every time they played. People were always trying to compare them. So, Jack, which rivalry though is greater? Is it the Russell Chamberlain, or is it the Bird versus Johnson? You know, when you think about it, it wasn't that far apart the actual rivalries. It was only like a decade or so apart, but it seemed the NBA grew so much from the time, you know, Wilt and Russell, you know, hung hung it up. And I go with Wilt and Russell. I mean, I saw them go against one another when I was a kid. And I remember thinking, I better cherish this, you know, because this isn't going to last forever. And basketball was played a little differently at that time. I mean, you had player on player, the center position, for example. Uh, You wouldn't have these different rotations where teams would sometimes play without a true center. They could play with five small guys. You'd have your big guy in the middle, in the low post, in the center, okay? And it was who could be stronger than who, who could have more skill than who. And Wilton Russell would always be butting heads. They'd always be playing one-on-one against one another. Wilt wouldn't be guarding anyone else. Russell wouldn't be guarding anyone else. And the coaches wouldn't even think to take Wilton Russell off the other guy. <clears throat> this was it. Mano de mano. Bird and uh, Magic. As great a rivalry as it was, they never guarded one another, actually, on the court. I mean, the rivalry, you know, stemmed from, like you said, from college on with their teams. And you can make an argument. If your argument is the teams had a great rivalry, fine. But the players, I just want to focus on Wilt and Russell themselves. They went at it head to head. And it's the one thing that kind of tarnished Wilt's career a little bit, his legacy, it was public perception. He only had two championships, and Russell, I think, had 11 championships, okay? I mean, quite a difference. It had Wilt won a couple of more championships that he maybe should have won in the NBA. In you know, even in college, Wilt didn't win the NCAA tournament. He lost in triple overtime when he was at Kansas. He was named the MVP of the tournament, but because Kansas didn't win the tournament, Wilt was perceived as a loser, okay? So whenever everyone, anyone judged Wilt, they would do it in comparison to Russell all the time. I mean, that's a rivalry, okay? 
I mean, one of the rivalries that's not going to come up with either you guys, obviously, is like Jeter and A-Rod because they didn't really compete against one another when they were the Yankees on the field. Or, you know, they were on other teams for a while before that. But everyone did that comparison, and it always seemed to hurt A-Rod a little, just like the Russell comparison hurt, you know, Wilt a bit, you know, in the long run because of the amount of championships. But to just compare the two, because uh, Magic and Bird didn't directly compete against one another on the court, uh, you know, I have to say Wilt and Russell was the great rivalry of the two and the greatest on-the-court rivalry in, in basketball history. Yeah, Jack, I, I mean, I, I agree with a lot what you say, and, and I would have to go with that rivalry too just because they did directly play against each other all the time. I think I think I remember seeing where Magic did switch off on Bird a couple of times and Bird off on Magic a couple of times just because of where the ball was going. Uh, Magic said, you know, without Larry Bird, I wouldn't have been as great as I was. And I think Larry Bird says the same thing. The thing I'll say about that rivalry is, is that these two players were great at what they did, right? They did they did different things on the offense. I mean, Magic could have took over a lot of games. He didn't. I think Bird could have gave up the scoring to somebody else, you know, McHale or whatever. I never really looked at the rivalry between Parrish and Kareem. I don't. I, I should have looked that up before I went on because I think that those would be some interesting numbers too because they played so much uh, together. I, I would imagine Kareem would have won that. I'm not sure though because Parrish did play big, and uh, I don't think there was really a, a power forward that matched up. Uh, with McHale because it was small forwards. Worthy was their big gun at forward. So, um, you, I mean, these two guys play different positions. That's the only reason why I agree with you uh, with Russell and Chamberlain playing the same position. But there's a lot to be said about uh, uh, Burden Johnson too. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, this one I'm out of my I'm out of my league. So I'm going to say that um, my initial answer because I, I never saw Magic. Excuse me, uh, Will and um, and Russell play. I was too little. So I was going to, it's going to go with magic and bird because I, even as a non basketball fan, that always seemed to be a big event and something that everybody was talking about. And so that, that drew interest. And so I was going to say the media and all of that, that surrounded the bird and magic um, rivalry was something that made it bigger, maybe, maybe than the other, but I like Jack's answer, and I like the fact that they played against each other and they defended each other, so I'm going to defer to Jack's answer on that. Well, you make a great point with coverage, uh, Doc, because, you know, one time the NBA championship wasn't carried live, and that, that wasn't that wasn't uh, uh, too long before Burden Johnson. So if you think about it, Burden Johnson's rivalry put basketball back – I don't know if it was ever off them – the, uh, the map, but it did bring it back. That brought basketball way back from nowhere. So, you know, that point I didn't even think of. That's a great point. I mean, as great as Russell and Chamberlain were, maybe at that time they could have done the same thing. I don't know, but they didn't. So if you think about it, maybe Bird-Johnson rivalry was greater. If I was going to make a case for Bird and Johnson, and I could make a good case for them as well, I can say there was greater passion in arguing who was the greatest player in the game when Magic and Bird were playing. Michael Jordan came along later when both were, 
you know, basically starting to slip in their skills a bit. Okay, so then Jordan took over for the two. But before Michael Jordan got into things like full swing, where he was the undisputed best player in the game, the talk was who's better, Magic or Bird? And it would be a coin flip, you know? It, it would, you could go either way, you know? But it would be some great debates who was better, Magic or Bird. So they had that rivalry going, you know, with the fans. And they and they did and they did bring basketball back if you want to be honest to the forefront. Yeah. So I mean, if you do say Magic and uh, and Bird, it's hard to argue with that if you want to just look at that alone. I mean that that was what they did there. Magic and Larry Bird brought basketball back to TV, really, to cover that much. So I mean, if you want to say that, that's legit. So um, yeah, basketball grew. You know, in uh, Magic's rookie year when the Lakers won the championship and they wrapped the championship up in the sixth game. It was a historic game because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got injured and it looked bad for the Lakers, even though they were up three games to two going into Philadelphia. Magic played the center position, played a phenomenal game, and they won. That game, I think it was 19... Wow, I forgot, 80, 82. I forgot the exact year. But that game was on tape delay. Can right. you believe it? Tape delay? They didn't even show it live, CBS. That's crazy. But then right after that, you know, Magic's personality, Bird's charisma as well. You're right. The NBA took off. But it's hard to believe, you know, uh, an event, you know, with stars like that. The game wasn't even shown live. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So the next topic, this is, this is another oldie but goodie here. We're talking about... Way back, the first NFC, AFC at the time was the NFL, AFL, Super Bowl. So the Jets are playing the Colts. The Colts are heavily favored um, to win this game. The Colts, uh, you know, the NFL at that time was considered better than the AFL, which which we found out in that Super Bowl. They were not. Um, a lot of things happened that game that a lot of people shouldn't know because some people didn't watch it first. John United did not start that game. He came in late. He was hurt. He was injured that year. He came in. And he did drive the Colts down the field for a score. But John United did not start. It was Earl Morrill who played. Earl Morrill was a great backup quarterback, was unbelievable, really. He could have been starting quarterback on most teams. That game, he had a terrible game. I think he threw four interceptions. So just, just to give you a little insight of what happened that game, Joe Namath predicted that the Jets would win. And that was all over the, the media that they because the Colts were so highly favored. and Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Right. Right. He guaranteed they would win. So Joe Namath goes out there to play, not Johnny Unitas, uh, quarterbacking for the Colts, at least at the start. And the Jets played well. They had a lot of good playing. Namath gets the Super Bowl MVP. And since I'm going first, I'll talk about that a little bit. Joe Namath was a great quarterback, especially in his prime. No one had a quicker release. No one had a stronger arm. And he was very colorful. He was right for New York. They called him Broadway Joe because he loved to go out to the clubs and have a good time. Joe Namath had a lot of talent. And Joe Namath, if you look at his overall numbers and you, and you look at the numbers of some of the quarterbacks, he doesn't match up. But that's not why Joe Namath was so great. Joe Namath was so great because he 
he was a mad bomber at some things. It didn't matter if he threw three interceptions. He didn't care. He kept throwing. And the Jets mainly were a passing team when he was in his prime. But there's something people don't know about the Jets. The Jets had a hell of an offense. I mean, defense, sorry. They had a hell of a defense. They had one of the best defenses in the league. And they had a good running back, a couple of good running backs. And one guy's name was Matt Snell. And I know one of the other guys is going to agree with me. But I'm going to tell you something about Matt Snell. Matt Snell was a workhorse. He was more like a fullback than a running back. Tough as nails. Would get you those hard yards. In this game, he went crazy. Joe Namath really didn't have that good of a game. The defense played out of their minds. If I was to pick, if they could give the defense an MVP, just a defense, that would be my choice. The New York Jets defense won that game, if you want to be honest. But they don't they don't give out awards for, for units. So I'm going to say Matt Snell. Without Matt Snell, I don't think the Jets would have won that game. Even though the United didn't start, I think the Jets still would have lost that game. So I would have to say Matt Snell, and that's only because you can't give out the MVP to the defense. So that's my answer. What do you think, Doc? All right. So great question. Who should uh, the MVP of Super Bowl three have been? And I think on, on its face, your point about Matt Snell is, is a great one. He had 30 carries, 121 yards. He had a touchdown. Namath uh, was 17 for 28 for only 206 yards. And you say, mm, I don't know. Like, is how great is that? He ran twice, it looks like, for, uh, maybe uh, for 11 yards. You say, you know what? It wasn't great. He didn't do a great, great, great job. The player of the game was definitely Matt Snell. He carried the ball 30 times and scored a touchdown and ran for 121 yards. I, don't, I think it's hard to uh, argue against Matt Snell in that say, in that sense. But, I, you know, I think the Jets were a representation of Joe Namath and Joe Namath's swagger, and no one thought they were going to win that game. And, and everybody thought that the AFL was worse than the NFL. And even though Johnny Unitas didn't start, these were the big-time Colts, and and they looked like they were going to just roll over those upstarts from that other rival football conference. And Joe Namath gave them the swagger, and Joe Namath gave them the confidence, and Joe Namath was the leader on the field. And Joe Namath led those, um, led those drives where they scored. I mean, it was a close game. It was the final score. It was uh, 16-7. to There wasn't a whole lot of scoring going on. So I don't think the Jets win that game without Joe Namath and his swagger. And that's the reason that I think Joe Namath should then have been the MVP because he carried the team on his back. His overall numbers weren't as good, but because of who he was and because of what he brought to the field, that allowed um, – and, and you know what? One other point. They kept running the same types of plays um, against the weak side, as I understand, of, of, of Baltimore – uh, Baltimore didn't think they had to change their defense because they just thought they would just go out there and play the regular game. I just recently read a book that Joe Namath wrote, and he talked about that. And he was the guy who was able to read those defenses and and call the plays so that they could um, obviously win the game. So I'm going to give it to Joe. Your points are well taken. I agree with them 100%, except for the last part that Joe Namath should have been the MVP. But you did leave out some other things that Matt Snell did that led to the argument. He was the second leading receiver on the Jets, four catches for 40 yards. Second leading receiver on the Jets. Think of that. 
He blocked. Who blocked for Joe Namath when he was completing the other passes? Matt Snell blocked tenaciously. Oh, and by the way, he filled in on special teams as well. Okay? So the guy, like, did it all, I mean, for that particular game. And, you know, in the fourth quarter of the game, the beginning of the fourth quarter, Joe Namath was telling a story. Uh, I think he didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken. You know, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe he threw only one at most. But in that era, the quarterbacks call their own plays, okay? And the coach, Weeb Eubank, says to Joe Namath, you know, we have a certain passing play. How about using it? And Joe Namath says, no, we're running the ball real well. You know, let's just keep sticking to the run. That was Matt Snell. Had Matt Snell not grinded out all those yards, the pattern of the game would have changed. Joe Namath would have had to pass more. Things would have opened up. Chances are the Jets would have won that Namath would have shined, you know, in that situation. But maybe not. Mac, I disagree with you completely about Johnny Unitas. I mean, uh, you know, watching that game there, Johnny Unitas' arm was dead at that point. He had nothing on the throws. One of the interceptions he threw, you, you kind of felt sorry for Johnny Unitas. You know what who Johnny Unitas was like? Wait, 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 wait. wait. For, before you go on, what do you disagree with? That he wasn't injured? I said he was injured. No, 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 no. That the, I think if I – maybe I'm mistaken in this. I apologize if I am. I think you were at least inferring had Johnny Unitas started for the Colts instead of Earl Morrow, the Colts would have won the game. Well, that's that's you don't know that for a fact. I mean, he still let him down for the touchdown drive, Jack. And Earl Morrow threw four interceptions. So I believe that Johnny Unitas – probably wouldn't have thrown four interceptions. Maybe there would have been a change in game plan, whatever. So you saying that's wrong. I, I don't know how you could say that. I know he's, he's very injured, but he still went in and the Colts went down and scored. Mac, that's the, but if I had to draw a comparison, that would be like me saying, well, if the Mets had started Willie Mays and played him full time in the 1973 world series, they would have won because United had, you know, he, he had a little more left than Mays did at that point because a couple of years later, the Colts actually did win a Super Bowl by having a tenacious defense. Yeah. So maybe that's not the best point that I was about to make. So let me backtrack on that. But Johnny U was hurt. If it had it been that Johnny U in his prime playing that game, I'm not going to argue if you're going to say the Colts had had a good chance of winning. But keep this in mind, had the Colts mustered a little more offense, then Joe Willie probably would have opened things up with the passing game. So who knows the way the game would have gone. Well, the the, the, the problem was, Jack, that that he threw four – how can you win a game you throw four interceptions? Uh, Didn't the Jets' defense score a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken? No. No? No, The handoff to Matt Snell and three field goals by Jim Turner. Listen, the Colts – I think the Colts were a better team than the Jets. That's the ironic thing about it. They were 13 and 1 during the regular season. They won the NFC Championship game 34 0 over Cleveland. The Jets barely got by the Raiders 27 23. The Colts were a better team. I think if they played the regular 14 game schedule at the time, the Colts win 9 or 10 games out of the 14. I think they were better, but on that day, you know, it was a fiasco. The Colts had two field goals attempts. They missed them both. Jim Turner, the jet kicker, hit three out of five. 
And like you said, like the four turnovers, the Jets have one terrible turnover. People forget George Sauer fumbled the wide receiver on his own 11-yard line. But on the next play, there was a crazy deflection that Randy Beverly intercepted it twice. Listen, in this modern age, Randy Beverly intercepted two passes. Who knows in this day and age whether a forgotten name, Randy Beverly, one of their cornerbacks, because of two interceptions would have gotten the MVP. MVP. That's right. But I, I like Matt Snell. Listen, he grinded. Doc's thing is the emotional leader was Joe Namath. If you want to count in the intangibles, which I count a lot of the time, you know, I, it's hard to argue against Joe Namath. But uh, just a small little side note that's really sad with Matt Snell, okay? He's 80 years old now. He still never comes back for any Jet Super Bowl reunions or anything because he said the owner of the Jets at the time, Leon Hess, wouldn't give him a letter of recommendation after he was promised it. I don't know whether that's true or not, but Matt Snell, such a key guy of those Super Bowl teams, does, uh, that Super Bowl team doesn't come back for the reunion. You know, that that's kind of a sad thing to say. Hey, David, uh, we're going to be predicting our Super Bowl uh, picks the day of the Super Bowl. So. Got to get Doc's prediction before. Well, I we can get, get the, if, yeah. Doc, if Doc can predict next week, he can wait till Saturday, too. It's up to him. Oh, right, right. Uh, what am I thinking? I, if well, he wants to Matt, make his prediction, he can make it. Pro Bowl. You know, I I learned my lesson two weeks ago. I picked on this show four games. I was wrong in three of them. Right. So yeah, I'm not making a Super Bowl prediction. Well, yeah, about competing with Mac. In other words, you you and Mac is neck and neck. Let's not talk about picks, Jack. Because if you want to line up the picks, uh, I'm far ahead of you this year. But anyway, Doc, um, what do what do you? He's got fifty fifty chance. You don't have to predict it today. Wait till Saturday. You can do your investigations. All right, I'll, I'll I'll give you a pick, and then anybody who uh, thinks anything about my pick should go the opposite way. That seems to be the way they go. So, Doc, Doc, you know you got as good as chance as anybody. Trust me, a lot of it's a lot of it is luck. You know, especially if you go with points. If you just pick straight up, I mean, I, it's very hard to do. It's very hard to do. If people think they can do it, it's very hard to do. So, um, we'll 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 check back Saturday with you. You should. You know, we should do one time. We should get an. All the football players that played baseball and all-time football play a team that played baseball like Deion Sanders, Kyla Murray, John Elway, Bo Jackson. Try to put together a team and gauge their potential. Jim Thorpe, George Hallis. I guess we could do it. Hinky Haynes. That's one of the chapters in my book there, Jack. I don't know if you got that far yet. I, I, fin- I actually finished it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great book. Great. So I like the sidebars you had. Fascinating stuff. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes the guys in 1908 players, it was interesting stuff, but I like kind of the side note. So we're talking about the best among them or amongst them. Dr. Paul has written about New York Yankees that had a one shot among them, the least among them, sorry, the least among them. Oh, oh, one part about the book, Mac, that made me think of you, believe it or not. You I had a whole chapter me. about Mac. Mac stumped <laughs> me on a debate question and made me look bad. This is before you were involved with the show, Doc. In regards to 
Babe Ruth replacing George Hallis as the right fielder. You pointed out that was a myth in the book, yet Mac took credit for stumping me on that question a while back. Well, well, Babe Ruth did. Was it the next right fielder after George Hallis? George Hallis ended up get, leaving because he couldn't hit a curveball from what I remember correctly. He, he ended up uh, uh, leaving, but George Hallis was supposed to be the, the biggest name and Yankees, from what I read, now I, I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but Ruth came over and ended up replacing him in right field. If that's not, if that's, I don't know if it's true or not. But you that's, know, another thing in that, you know, another well, wait a minute, don't just keep going on. I want to hear Doc, not you. Is that right? right I got to, I got to re refresh my memory here. George Hallis's baseball career and stuff. Let me, let me hear what Jack's going to say, and then I'll come. Back. No, no, no. Another, another thing that I would like to debate, not on this show, another time. Uh, oh, if there's time permitting, even on this show, off the top of a head later on, whose legacy in the history of sports has been most misrepresent, misrepresented? And Syntax talk about Wally Pip. You know, Wally Pip's become a part of American history here. Okay, that's the funny thing. Like, don't take a day off of work because whoever replaces you, you might not get your job back. Keep on your toes. Wally Pipp didn't deserve that. I mean, he wasn't a, you know. He was a very good ball. He was a hard-nosed guy. Very he was a hard-nosed guy, and then and then he got beaned. It wasn't like he just had a headache. He got beaned, and he kept playing, too. I'd have, yeah. to, I'd have to look up those stats. But George Hallis played all of 12 games as a Yankee in 1919. Yep. Um, he was an outfielder. He hit 091. Um, Babe Ruth, it wasn't like Babe Ruth replaced George Hallis, but George Hallis played right field the season right. before Babe Ruth right. came, but but right. he only played. They, got, they, they, let, they let George Hallis go because he couldn't hurt, hit a curveball, but in the minors, he tore it up. Doc. The minors, George Hallis tore it up. They thought he was a next, he was fast. He led the league like in triples and doubles. He wasn't a home run hitter, but he was a great hitter until they found out he couldn't hit the curveball. And that's what ended up getting him out of the Yankees was that if he can't hit the curveball, then he, he, he was not good for them. But he was supposedly going to be the next big star of the Yankees from what I read. So, Do you so, remember when was the first time you saw a curveball when you played? Yes. I panicked. I mean, I was a little league star. I never saw a curveball because they weren't good. None of the pitchers had it. They had just a flat ball that I could always hit. And then I get to a higher level. I'm 16 years old. The ball's on the outside of the plate. It's supposed to be ball one. It curved in. Like, I'm in a state of shock. Like, what? You know? Then another curved ball. Oh. All right, folks. So we're going to take a quick break as Jack uh, reminisces about his childhood. We'll be right back. Yeah, yeah well, he's talking about curve balls. I yeah, mean, it's right, it, right. it, it, bad memory. It's terrible. It's terrible. We'll be right back. I love you, Jack. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those Speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast for acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer Gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions 
millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVET's posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. My baloney has a first name. It's O S C A R. My baloney has a second name. It's M A Y E R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. If you ask me why, I'll say, 'Cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B O L O G N A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey. I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can you come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to. Oh shit. Here comes the king. Here comes the big number one. But why the beer? The king is second to none. Just say Budweiser. You've said it all. Here comes the king of beer, so lift your glass, let's hear the call. But why the beer's the one that's leading the rest? And beach for aging makes the beer at its best. When you say but, what takes the time you? Tim, tell you, Kyle's mother kids got caught drinking in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Come on, it's a first offense, right? That we know of. But why should that matter? He knew not to drink. I've made it clear to Matt. That's what we expect from him. What have you said to Tim? Um, nothing really. You know, a lot of kids try it at this age, so. I... Yeah, well, a lot of kids don't try it too. I'm not saying that Matt's going to be this perfect kid, but if I don't tell him what we expect and why he shouldn't drink, how's he going to know? You think kids that age really listen? <laughs> they never admit it, Bill, but they hear more than you think. Talk. They hear you. For more information about talking with kids about underage drinking, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Debate Show with our special host, guest host, Dr. Paul Semeninger. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Jack Hirsch, as we bring you all the biggest and best topics we can to debate for today. 
Let's get it rolling here, guys. Let's start off with both of these players are 23 years old. You have a choice, and you have a choice between two players. Either the great third baseman, Craig Nettles, or Reggie Jackson. And, Doc, you're first. I can imagine who you'll probably pick, but let's see if you surprise me. I'm going to surprise you. Uh, listen, I'm the biggest Greg Nettles fan in the world. We got Greg on my wall. There he is. Yeah, he is. All right, so Greg is there. I advocate for Greg Nettles to go into the Hall of Fame always. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. He was a great third baseman. People don't know that among position players, he actually led the American League in war two different seasons. Neither year did he get the MVP. I'm, 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 uh, I could make the argument that if he had won those MVPs, they didn't have that as a statistic back then. But if he had, people would have looked at his career differently, and he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame right now. But as great as Greg Nettles was, he wasn't Reggie. Reggie was a superstar. Reggie's a no-doubt-about-it Hall of Famer. Reggie was a big player on the big stage. Now, Nettles had some big moments. He won a playoff MVP in the early 80s. He was the guy who, again, if he had won the World Series MVP in 1978 because he actually won that World Series for the Yankees through his defense in Game 3, if he wins that award, another trophy on his shelf, people would have looked at his career a little bit differently, and he might be in the Hall of Fame today. But Reggie was Reggie. Reggie was a superstar. Reggie was bigger than life. Reggie hit big home runs. Reggie could run. Nettles didn't really run all that well. Reggie could throw. He had a great arm in the outfield. And in his younger days, when he was playing for the A's, he was an outstanding outfielder. Uh, Reggie had a higher batting average. Reggie had a higher slugging percentage. It, listen, I love Nettles. Nettles is my guy, 100%. But if you could get the superstar player, which is what Reggie was, you, you have to go for Reggie Jackson. I hate to say it, I'd rather, you know, I, if I'm picking a team and they're both standing on the playground and I'm just going to hang out with one of them, I love Reggie too, but I'm going to take Nettles. But if I'm building a team, my guy would have to be Reggie. And since I know uh, Jack disagrees with you, go ahead, Jack. I, I see the points, and I'm thinking of the Yankee years, the five years Reggie was with the Yankees. And I'm kind of evaluating how he was during those five years. But now, you know, I'm backtracking slightly. I'm still go I'm still gonna go with Greg Nettles, but I'm starting to backtrack a little more, go a little more on the defensive because the age is 23. And Reggie was a little more dynamic when he was with Oakland. When he got to the Yankees, I mean, people forget his first year, 1977, his defense in right field was horrific. I mean, he was terrible out there. Billy, remember when Billy Martin, the year after that in 78, came out to the field to yank Reggie Jackson? That was 77. That was... I'm almost certain. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Billy got fired in 78. That's why I may be thinking of uh, that. But okay, seven, yeah, 70, okay, 77. I'm having a brain cramp. I defer to you. Uh, but the point is, I thought Reggie was trying. I didn't think he was loafing. I just thought he was weak defensively. Then he lost his confidence. And Reggie said, well, the weakest link broke under the pressure. And that's what his defense had come to he was a not a good defensive player five years with the Yankees 
I remember him making a great catch in the World Series for Oakland against the Mets. He was different. He was better than. So maybe, you know, from age 23, he would have had those good years. I'm also thinking Reggie's five years with the Yankees. Greg Nettles supplied basically equal power during those years. Reggie's first year with the Yankees, even if you want to include his five home runs in the World Series, where Reggie was thought of as being the ultimate power hitter, that would give him regular season and postseason a total of 37. Greg Nettles hit 37 homers. His defense was night and day over Jackson's and maybe a more important position. You know, we could debate third base or right field. There was no comparison what Nettles was bringing to the table. Nettles had seven seasons of, you know, 20 or more homers. That's comparable to Reggie. Maybe not quite, on you know, the same, but it's in the same league is what I'm saying. But no one thinks of Nettles as being a power hitter. Okay. Uh, Reggie had 16 years of 20 or more home runs. He had 16 years. Okay, 20 more. Yeah, okay. But Reggie's defense a lot of those years too. Nettles' defense was virtually outstanding till the end. I mean, well, I, I'll, I, I hate to interrupt. I'll agree with you, and, and, and I'll just go back to my original point. When Greg Nettles was playing, the owner, the 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 voters just always gave the uh, the gold glove to Brooks Robinson. It yeah. was Brooks Robinson's award, so he just got it. So if you take a couple of those gold gloves away and you give them to Nettles, who was a better fielder in some of those years, again, his Hall of Fame case looks much, much better. So I agree with you. Nettles was great, but I'm still taking Reggie. Nettles and Brooks went apart, but let's say uh, Reggie had to go against Hank Aaron for awards. Hank Aaron would beat Reggie out like all the time, just about the way Robinson beat Nettles out, even though everyone you could say is comparable. So Willie Randolph had the same unfortunate fate, uh, fate with the Golden Gloves. Didn't uh, Frank White, Frank White, Lou Whitaker get it all the time? And Willie Randolph, who was a, a heck of a fielder, should have had at least one Golden Glove. It's nearly criminal that Willie Randolph who was so good defensively, could turn the double play as good as anyone, never was given a gold glove award. But listen, if you're talking about what it means, the marketability to a franchise, you know, you like Reggie Jackson. You could do a lot more sales, the value to a franchise. Greg Nettles lack charisma. Let's be honest about it. Even though he's a favorite of yours, Doc, he wasn't a charismatic player. Reggie was oozing with charisma all the time. Reggie was great for the papers. He was great for the franchise, you know, in that sense. I'm gently backtracking. A push came to shove. I might lack the guts to pick nettles over him and give in and say, well, Reggie was considered a superstar at the time. But if I put all those emotions aside and say, who could help me more on the field? Who's going to help me win more on the field? Now, who was necessarily a better player? Who would be better for the team to get me more wins? That kind of tilts the equation towards Nettles. I think he's a little better for me as a team than, you know, to have them Reggie would. Well, well, I agree with Doc. I mean, if you're going to go from 23 years old, that's, you know, in his prime, Jackson was more – uh, productive than Nettles was with higher the higher batting average, 
the little bit more power. I agree with you that Nettles was a lot of power. I love Greg Nettles. I mean, my two favorite players, Yankees of all time, are Roy White and Greg Nettles. So the kind of third baseman he was was unbelievable. I mean, he won the World Series, I think, with his glove uh, one year. If it wasn't for him there against the Dodgers, scooping every ball that Gidry threw and they hit the third base, uh, I don't think the Yankees would have won that game. But if you're going to say overall and who's the best player at 23 years old, I, you would have to take Reggie Jackson. He, As Doc said, he could run well. He played the field well, power. And, and you know, Jack, I, I – I think that if I was wanting somebody to clubhouse to keep things right, I would pick Nettles over Jackson. Because Jackson, as, as great as he was with the, the news, was sometimes detrimental to the Yankees. He caused a lot of problems with the manager, with the manager, with the players, where Greg Nettles didn't do that. Greg Nettles was just a kind of a, a one-zinger kind of laugh, uh, get you laughing kind of guy. He wasn't, he didn't have the same in the clubhouse, he was better than Jackson was. Let's put it that way. Outside the clubhouse, of course, Jackson got all the attention because he was, uh, you know, he wanted everything to be about him. So, you know, Jackson was more a me player. Nettles was more a team player. So if you were going off that, I'd take Nettles in, my, in a heartbeat. But if I'm starting a team, professional team, 23 years old for 10 years, easily Jackson, I think. Easily Jackson. Um, so go ahead, Jack. But what was the one of the appeals, let's say, of someone who played with both of them, Thurman Munson, was – People think hard nosed ball player. That's the first thing I think that comes to mind when Munson's name comes up. Nettles was in the same exact category as Munson being a hard nosed ball player. Nettles gave the team some attitude in the sense that the Yankees were tough and wouldn't get pushed around. George Brett slides hard into Nettles. Before you know it, they're like going at it. You know, Nettles wouldn't back down from anyone. Heck, he even had an interaction with Jackson, you know, where he decked Jackson, supposedly a quick interaction that was unfortunate. You know, they talked was at a about dinner or something. Yeah. Yeah. But Nettles they wouldn't back down from anyone. And, he not, and not, that's not to say Jackson would. But Jackson, let's face it, for all his greatness, he was a drama queen. And the way he would go about things. Joe Garagiola told a story once when Jackson was playing for the cameras for them up in the booth, he told them he would step out of the baddest box, which he did because he knew he was Jackson loved the limelight. He just loved the camera, loved the attention. Nettles wasn't into any of that at all. But why don't we put a premium guys on defense? Why do we keep looking at num those numbers? If I tell you, Greg, if I said to you guys that Greg Nettles was one of the five best defensive third baseman of all time. I don't think you'd give me a big argument. Maybe you disagree after more research, but off the top of your head, you'll say, okay, you know, we can't argue that. And in third base, you know, it's such an important position, you know, in baseball. So many chances, so many long throws across the diamond. You know, that, that's just my thought. I'm pitting in a way third baseman against right fielder. Right field is... Well, you would, think, you would think in Yankee Stadium, right field would probably be the premier position, right? Because of the short porch there. It's easier to play, but it's easier to play. Well, it, it, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, I played outfield and third base. I know third base is heavy when the ball's hit. It's a little bit harder. But I could argue then that Reggie Jackson may be in the top 20 players of all time, where Craig Nettles is not even close to that yet. 
You could say Reggie Jackson's maybe a top 20 clutch player of all time. Top maybe like big period. moments because he loves top, the limelight. Yeah. Top 20, top 20 player, period. I and don't think so. I, I, I can make that I can make that argument, Jack. I mean, in the World Series postseason and, and counting all his is the way he ran. I, I don't you know, as great as Reggie right. was and he was a force, I don't put him up there with the Ken Griffey Juniors, for example. I, well, I don't know. either. I'm just saying I think I could put him in the top twenty and I'd make a good argument. You couldn't put Greg Nettles in the top twenty baseball players in the University of Baseball, not even close. I agree with that point. You couldn't with Nettles all around. I mean, I wouldn't go you know, that the, far. the other thing is Reggie was a winner before he came to New York. Reggie sure. was uh, the the player on those great Oakland A's teams. So yeah. he, he was a winner, and he brought his winning to New York. You know, what, what did he say? I didn't come to New York to be a star. I brought my star with well, me. The Yankees right? won the World Series the year before Reggie got there. The Yankees were ready to take the no, next no. no, no, the Yankees lost the World Series. They lost, but they won the World Series. And also Reggie at Oakland. He was surrounded by, you know, a number of great, great players. I mean, I guess you could say very good players. He, he was surrounded by a lot of very good players. I don't know if they were great. Sal Bando, Joe Rudy, you know, those guys, Pat they were very Schoen, good. Pat well, well, I'm not talking about the pitchers, but yeah. Uh, Blue. Right. But none of those guys are Hall of Famers. They're all very good players. Just like on the Yankees, he was surrounded by a lot of very good players who were who Chambliss, Nettles, Randolph, Roy White. Munson, none of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. We could make arguments that some of them belong there. If, if you and go by war, Reggie's lifetime war, 73.9. I hate that I'm arguing against Greg Nettles. I know, I know, right? <laughs> Nettles is 44.4. Yeah. Yeah, doc, Doc, we should delete the tape of this show because when you make your push for Greg Nettles to get in the Hall of Fame, you don't want anyone saying, Doc, you're arguing against yeah. Well, no, no, already... no, I'm arguing against Reggie compared to Nettles. Right. Nettles belongs in the Hall of Fame. Okay. There's not even a question. That's for the record. You're saying that for the record. For anyone watching <laughs> TikTok, it's made it clear all along. One guy, that Reggie's already in the Hall, but Nettles belongs in. I mean, can you imagine? That's argument. Can you, can you imagine having, having Reggie Jackson, you know, in 1973 on the Yankees, or 1971 on the Yankees when he was in his prime? Can you imagine that? Imagine what he would have done for the Yankees. It's maybe, Nettles in the uh, maybe, maybe maybe the Yankees win in '76. Maybe they do. No, they're not beating the big red machine. I don't know that. I don't know that. Well, straight. No, they they would. I don't know that, Jack. I don't. You know, know a couple that. of those games were close early yes. in that World Series. Maybe maybe it results in the Yankees not getting swept if they have Reggie because maybe. they're you know they're obviously a better team. Maybe they do win a game or two, which means right. tremendous value, and they turn it into a series. But they wouldn't have actually won four games against the Reds. I mean, absolutely no way. That and Nettles, he's you not in Monument Park. No, mm -mm. he belongs out there. I, I make that point in this wonderful book as well, that Greg Nettles is, <laughs> belongs well, in Monument Park. Is there anyone in Monument Park who you'd say Nettles is more worthy of being in that, you know, who's in there now? Oh, you'd rather not go there with that. I know we could. I'd have to start thinking about it, but, but, uh, you know, Tino Martinez is out there. I don't think Tino Martinez is no, Greg Nettles. Nettles. I put Nettles over Tino Martinez. I, I don't know if Paul O'Neill is Greg Nettles. I, he's there. out there. 
What you know what it is? Those guys won uh, four World Series winners. Nettles was on two, so they have like double the bounce from the winner. All right, Hank Bauer was on five, right? I, I think he he's not out there. It it just gets silly the way the uh, I think a lot of these newer guys were put out there just because they wanted to have another day to draw fans in. And oh look, let's let's honor these guys. And I'm not taking anything away from them. They were part of the big Yankee uh, dynasty in the '90s, but. You know, I don't think they were in Nettles' in league, uh, league. I don't think Paul O'Neill's going to ever go in the Hall of Fame. Well, I don't think Tino's ever going this. in. The What's Yan- that? Yankee championship teams of 77 and 78, the two in a row. Has their legacy been hurt by the Jeter Yankee teams that came later? That won well, well let's, not, let's not turn the rest of the show into Yankee shows. I don't think so. Let's, 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 let's push that a little bit. Um the question of what, you know, what kind of legacy, what is more important to the greatness of a player? And is it, is it the, the, you know, the longevity of this player? Or is it, you know, the, the short time he was there, his impact? I'm trying to think of the, the word to use here. I think, I think you're going to say your, his, prime, his, his prime years, where even though he wasn't around long enough, Jack, there's a word I'm missing. Peak value. Peak value against longevity. So so what is more important? I'll let you go first, Jack. Um, What do you consider more important, the peak value of a player or the longevity of a player? Quick question. You can answer this, Doc, in a way for me. Who's the greatest football player you think of all time? Tom Brady. Uh, Mac. Me, who I think it is, Jim Brown. Okay, you guys have differing viewpoints. Jim Brown had a nine-year career. Tom Brady had a 22-year career. So, Doc, you're going for longevity on that case. Mac, you're going for peak value. Who was the greatest pitcher, you guys? Maybe never saw, you know, about your era or whatever. Could have come a little before you were born. You know uh, you know who I may be referring to. Lefty Yes. Gomer. So, well, so, I, I mean, uh, let's say I'll give the name Sandy okay. Kovacs. Sandy Kovacs didn't have a long career. Pete, uh, who's greater, Sandy Kovacs or Roger Clemens, guys? Roger Clemens. Who do you say? Roger Clemens. At, but at their best. Oh, that's no, a different question. You said who's oh, right, right, right. Well, no, no, no. But who's greater? Who was greater? Roger, Roger Clemens. Who had a greater career? Roger who Clemens. Greater pitcher. Roger Clemens. Sandy Kovacs was invincible when he pitched. Roger Clemens was super great. There's a difference in foul. Well, that's Roger right. Cle- uh, one guy was super great. The other guy was unhittable. Okay? And, well, yeah, I saw Sandy Kovacs pitch. And the great Bob Gibson dreaded pitching against Sandy Kovacs. That's Italian. Gibson was about on Clemens' level. Okay? Or close, at least. Pretty close. Okay, but the, uh, listen, it's all a matter of opinion. Okay, LeBron and Michael Jordan, most people are going to pick Michael Jordan because my, but over LeBron. LeBron's going to have the longevity fact in his favor. He already does. But at Michael Jordan's absolute best, people are going to think of that. You know, it's all an opinion. There's no answer to this, no set answer like at all. I go back and forth. I used to always like the longevity fact, and that, and I might use that when all said and done in an athlete's career. 
But I think when a guy's at his absolute greatest, okay? You know, guys have fought into a more advanced stage than Muhammad Ali boxed. But I'm not going to rate any of them as a greater heavyweight than Muhammad Ali, okay? I would. I would. Okay, you would. It's a matter of opinion. All of this is all opinion. I just think when we're talking about how great someone is, how they are at their absolute best. It's not judging them over their career, but who was greater at their best. Listen, teams, for example, if I'm asking what's, who's the greatest team in a sport, you guys focus probably on one season. Most of us focus on one season. NFL, the greatest team I ever saw, I would say, would be, what was it, the 85 Chicago Bears, Okay. What was 85 86? I might be off one year. I think it was 85. 85. They won the Super Bowl. You guys might, you know, look at the Patriots who won something. Or the, uh, the Dolphin team won a couple of years in a row or something like that. Okay. To me, at this, I think peak value is judging, you know, whatever. It's, it's not judging over a career. Okay, it, it could even be in track and field, the greatest middle distance runner of all time. He could have two phenomenal years and some of that, and then he could kind of flame out, but he could set all these records in the two years. And then he could have someone who had a much better career. You know, they did it for 10, 12 years. And who's better at their very best? That's what I, you know, I kind of lean towards right now. But I also understand that if I had to, do a rankings and I have to actually sit down. You do have to seriously consider the longevity factor. No, I, I think, I think Jack, that a lot of these people you talk about longevity factors have also been good in their prime. I mean, Michael Jordan just didn't just play for five years, right? He played for quite a long time. He was, he was, it's not like he just went in and won five championships, six championships and retired. He had a lot of years. He didn't win championships, but still was a great, great player. I think I think it's more almost 60, 40, 50, 50 between Jordan and, and LeBron now. It's 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 pretty close. But I mean, how can you not consider longevity? I I mean you you have to throw that in there, even though I named Jim Brown, he still played for nine years. It's not like he only played for three. I mean, you he still he still played football. That's a long time for a running back. He just retired in his prime, that's all. Well, the players continued on maybe a little past their prime or were in better health or just decided to play more football. When you're talking about who the greatest athlete is and you want to compare, I mean, you could say the same thing between Joe Montana and, and, and Tom Brady, right? I mean, it's hard to compare. If you say, if you went and said that Joe Montana at his peak was better than Brady at his peak, you might be right. I mean, it'd be an argument. You could say that. But with Tom Brady winning 10 Super Bowls, you have to take that in. I mean, being in 10 Super Bowls, you have to take that in consideration. I think Johnny Unitas, I think Dan Marino, I think a lot of quarterbacks are better than Tom Brady as a quarterback. But as a as a competitor, as being accomplished, at, as far as leading teams, I mean, how can you take it away from Tom Brady? You, you, you've got to give him the nod. So, I mean, I, I don't know how you can't include longevity. You could have a, a batter, say, or a pitcher or a player that has one great year. I mean, he breaks all the records, and that's the only year he has. I don't know how you could say he's one of the greatest of all time. I mean, I, I don't know how you would do that. So, I mean, 
to me, longevity is very important to, to discuss who the greatest of all time is. Yeah, if you went off peak value, like I said, it could be Joe Schmo from from the uh, Detroit Lions has a record-breaking year, and then you're going to say he's one of the greatest at his peak value that one year he played? I don't think that's a that's legit. Uh, Pedro Martinez, right? He was one of the greatest for like three years in a row, and he and 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 but he still was a decent play, pitcher. Look at Ron Guidry, Jack. He's not in the Hall of Fame. What do you go? Twenty-eight and three or twenty-five and three? I think it was that one year. Twenty-five in nineteen seventy-eight. Yep. Yeah. He was almost unhittable. The guy was tremendous. He's not in the Hall of Fame. I could I could put Ron Guidry in the top five pitchers of all time at peak value if you want to do that. But are you going to say he's one of the greatest of all time? That would be hard. But Mac, if someone said to you, who's the greatest pitcher that you ever saw at when he was at his absolute best? I'm not talking about career. You could say Ron Guidry of that season saying that was the greatest pitcher I ever saw him being that one year. You can't yeah. say that. That's what I mean. Yeah, you can, but I, I don't know how you could say he's the greatest, though. Of all, I don't know how you could make an argument that he was the greatest pitcher. Well, in judging as, as someone's greatest, maybe not rating it. You, you know, you have to rate all the factors, the greatness and the longevity factor, you know, as well. Where you got a point. Where you got a yeah. point is that is an average good pitcher versus a pitcher, say, that only pitched eight years. I mean, look at Tim Wakefield, for example. All right, Tim Wakefield had, had some unbelievable re- years with Chicago. I mean, he was he was he was a twenty game winner, if I'm not mistaken, with Chicago. Right, the knuckleball over with the, yeah. to the Red Sox. Yeah, when he went to the Red Sox, he was a 500 pitcher basically, but he pitched all the time. So, I mean, you can't call him one of the greatest. Well, he had 14 seasons in the big leagues, and he made right. the All-Star team once. Right. So, uh, right. In yeah. Chicago, in one year in Chicago, I think he was one of the top pitchers. So, I mean, I would have to look it up again, but I remember researching. Uh, I remember uh, him as a Red Sox, really. Right. You know, oh, giving yeah. up that home run to Aaron Boone. That's right. Not like but still, I'm ball. just saying, you need one of those pitchers to eat up innings and be a 500 pitcher for you. So, I mean, you could say he was great at that. But to compare him to like a Roger Clements or to compare him to these super pitchers, you can. So there you might have a point. Pedro Martinez or Tim Wakefield. I go with Pedro Martinez. How's that? I don't know. Go ahead, Doc. All right. So, so I think it's the age-old question, right? If I was to ask you, who do you want to pitch for your team? Don Sutton or Sandy Koufax? Everybody in the world is going to pick Sandy Koufax. But if you look at their value over their career, Don Sutton has a 68.3 war, Sandy Koufax 53.1. But Sandy Koufax was the better pitcher, but he just didn't have a long enough career. And I think Jack makes a, a Mac makes a great point when he brings up Ron Guidry. There might not have been a better pitcher ever than Ron Guidry in 1978. But He's not the greatest pitcher of all time because he wasn't able to sustain that. Don Mattingly, in his peak years, was great. There was there was nobody better in, in a lot of senses. He was just phenomenal, but he couldn't put it together. Or he got hurt, and he couldn't sustain it for a long enough time. And so if you ask, like, who's the greatest pitcher of all time? Roger Clemens, I think, his war is over 100. If it's not, I didn't. Uh, it's it's got to be close. So it's hard to argue against him. It's hard to argue against guys that did great things for a long, long time. And so I think it comes down to peak value is very good and it can be very valuable. And, and it was like in the case of Sandy Koufax, because when he was at his peak, the Dodgers were at their peak and he was helping to lead them to world championships. 
unfortunately, a guy like uh, uh, Don Mattingly, when he was at his peak, he wasn't able to be on a Yankee team that was able to get over the hump. They didn't have the pitching. But if you're just looking at a moment, at a moment, at his very best, who was better? Well, you know, is Joe Frazier better than Muhammad Ali? Because at his very best, he beat Ali. And then you're going to make the argument that Frazier's better? You could. Yeah, there are intangibles there. That that's an interesting example, uh, especially Frazier being one of Matt's favorites in mine as well. Let me give you another example. Let me detour slightly to hockey. The consensus best player of all time is Wayne Gretzky. Bobby Orr had a much shorter career, but he was so dynamic and sensational. If I said Bobby Orr was the greatest hockey player of all time, his career didn't last as long. But at his very best, he was off the charts, okay, as a player. So, you know, just just ideas. But I, I listen, again, like we were doing the past arguments with Nettles and Jackson, if push came to shove, you, you know, you have to seriously take into consideration the longevity factor. If I have to rate the greatest quarterbacks of all time, of course, I'm going to say Tom Brady's played at a high level at age 44, while all these other great quarterbacks were like all burned out about eight years before that. Well, one question question for you, Jack. If if knowing what you know now, of course, you know now, if you were going to sign the two pitchers, Sandy Koufax or Roger Clemens, knowing what you know now, that Sandy Koufax was going to get hurt, who would you sign? Oh, Clemens easily. Easily for the long career. Yeah, without a question. Uh, But but if it came down to one, yeah, listen, Sandy Koufax, for example, the 1965 World Series, they pitch him in the seventh game on two days rest. It's unheard of. And pitching is pitching. I don't want to hear an old timer. Drew Hart pitched a three-hit shutout on two days rest. And they had they had Don Drysdale ready to go on full rest to dodge as a Hall of Famer. They bypassed the Hall of Famer because they wanted Kovacs to take the mound because they realized he was invincible, which he proved once again in that game. Roger Clemens in the same situation. It's highly doubtful he would have pitched anywhere nearly as effective. Different, different times, Jack. We'll be right back. Sandy threw really hard, really hard. Yes, he did. choices whether to drink or not. Okay. Bye-bye. 
Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. see right now without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about the team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm not Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, is it each? It just might be the greatest sports franchise in the history of sports. A place where legends are made, and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news, hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan, a couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee fever. And now, here's Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan. Get ready to start spreading the news. debate show as we have a special guest host in with us dr paul semeninger played a few promos uh, one about northeast streaming sports one about uh jack and uh jack and frank latirzo show uh glove fist that will be on monday night and then uh doc and dr G ej fagan will be on with uh start spreading the news both very popular over on youtube check them out uh, they're normally going at it for one and two, but start spreading the news. Pulled away from Glove Fist last week, even though Glove Fist was right on their heels the week before. One viewer short, but this but this last show, uh, Doc killed it. The two doctors killed it. And, uh, and, uh, that, and we had the third doctor. We had Dr. Tevi Troy on, and yes, that, that might have put it over the edge. Uh, just, just Jack, yeah. I don't know if Jack knows this, but in the beginning of our show, I encouraged all our listeners to uh, – Watch your show as well, because I wanted you to uh, get a little closer in the rankings and, and maybe, you know, push us. 
I don't know. I mean, Matt keeps touching <laughs> the data with these ratings. I don't know whether I trust it, you know, and that. Well, I'm, I'm being yeah. honest. I'm being honest. I check them regularly. Uh, so right now, anyway, starts spreading the news is 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 at least uh, double digits ahead of you from last oh, Yankees, year. If, the, if baseball resumes and the Yankees start losing the ratings, <laughs> no. Rating. But not that you're not doing really well. Glove Fist, Glove Fist is one of the top-rated shows on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Also, tomorrow, one more quick promo um, on Sunday on the Roku So anyway, that's our Sunday lineup, uh, the big football show tomorrow, which is doing incredibly well over on YouTube and Roku too. Uh, we're in double digits over there, uh, not too far behind the other shows. So uh, if you get a chance tomorrow, folks, tune in the big show, uh, big football show where we'll be doing our NFL in review. We will not be covering at all the exhibition flag football game. They call the Pro Pro Bowl over at, at in, on the NFL. I am boycotting that. So um, we'll be back the following week. Well, what about the hockey all-star game today, Mac? Are you boycotting that's, the NHL? What about Major League Baseball? You've been boycotting that all-star game. So you yes, boycott all all-star games. Yeah, they're because they're not, playing, they're, not playing. they're not playing. They're not playing real games, Jack. I want to watch real sports. If I want to watch people just hitting home runs, I'll go, you know, and watch people hit home runs. If I want to watch people catching the ball, I'll go watch a flag football game. If I want to watch basketball, just letting them shoot, I'll go to a gym somewhere and watch people shoot the basketball. And I want to see a competition. I want to see a real game. And if they're not going to play real games, I'm boycotting them until they do. And I know that that will put them on their toes, right? That does, oh, Mac's not watching, so we'll change the format. That won't happen. But uh, I know a lot of people have interest in watching the stars. I'm not about the stars as much as I am about the game. I love I love sports. I'll tell you, I went to the 1977 All-Star Game at Yankee Stadium, and it was it was great. I mean, I sat in the upper deck down the left field line all the way, you know, in the outfield. But it was a great spectacle when you see all these stars in one place at the same time, even though the game itself, you know, isn't play at that time. They actually did play for women. Yeah, they, did. they did play. It's a it's a different game back then. Right, yes. right. But just the spectacle. Even now, even though these games are just an exhibition, to see all the stars, you know, together on the same court, the same field is, you know, it's still a big deal. If you're a fan, I think. Uh, I don't know. I, I want to watch a game. I don't want to watch people. Uh, sitting around posing for the camera, Jack. That's what I want to see. If I want to go see a game, I go see it, and that's what I want to see. That's just my opinion. You know, yeah, people welcome to do whatever they want. Well, uh, a few years I ago, I kudos to the NBA All Star Game. At the end of the game, both teams were playing really hard. They both wanted to win. It was like they were playing street ball. They were kids again, and they were going at it hard. And people kind of loved it because the effort was there. You know, at the end of the game. 
Yeah, I mean, there was pride in your division at that time, or yeah. conference, or whatever it was. You played the, the when the uh, when the uh, baseball teams played in the National League against the American League. That was they wanted to win for the league, and they didn't well, do interleague that. play took that all away from a lot all of it. Free agency, sports. free agency too, Jack. Free agency took that away too, right? I mean, the players aren't playing for their teams and their and their perspective divisions or leagues like they used to either so it's just it's just that everything's changed and to me it's too bad but it is what it is so uh we have what we have and some people do enjoy it i i really don't i think it's a waste of time to watch but anyway um let's get to the most exciting athlete in sports and this is i mean i know i'm going to talk about football because i love football a little bit more than the rest of the sports you know i guess you got boxing could be close but that that's how I would go, I go first. I'm going to pick Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen is a tremendous athlete. I think without Josh Allen, Buffalo would be uh, nowhere at all. You could say that about a lot of players. But Josh Allen leads the team in rushing. He's accurate as, as, as all outdoors now. That man, that man throws the ball uh, very accurately now, which was his biggest drawback when he first started. And when he's got the ball on offense, you don't know what's going to happen. Um you know, you have other quarterbacks out there that are that are unbelievable too. I'm not taking nothing away from the other quarterbacks that play the game, but athletically, the man is about 230, 240 pounds. He's six foot five. He'll run you over. He'll run through you. He'll run around you with his speed, and he's a very uh, exciting guy to watch. If you just want to sit back and watch a player play, um, not only a quarterback but a running back, as Jack liked to say, maybe there should be a running back. That, that can throw the ball, uh, that would be Josh Allen. Uh, he's more he's he's more dynamic to me than Jackson is. He's more dynamic to me than a lot of quarter than, than every quarterback out there. Let's put it that way. He could he they design plays for him to run, and that's how good he is. I hope he lasts a lot longer, taking a punishment of guys his size hitting on him all the time. I really do because the guy is great for the NFL. He's great for sports. He's unbelievable for Buffalo. Totally different than Jim Kelly was. Jim Kelly is a pure pocket quarterback. And if I want to go watch a game, and I don't care who he's playing against, I want to go see Josh Allen play if I can, and I would. So for me, he's the most exciting uh, athlete in sports at this time. What do you think, Doc? All right, so I'm going to go with baseball. I think you uh, could probably have figured that out. You know, offline, Jack had given me a great answer. Rocky Balboa has not retired, so he's still, but um, I would love to pick Rocky Balboa. He's my favorite ever. But anyway, the most exciting athlete in sports is Shohei Otani. Now, he can do everything. I think I think people don't, don't quite realize how great he is at everything he does. What are the three most exciting things about baseball? If you're a defensive guy, you want to watch your pitchers get strikeouts. Well... He averages more than a strikeout an inning. He pitched 130.1 innings last year. He struck out 156 guys. So if you like watching pitchers who can strike guys out, he's your guy. On offense, what do people want to see? They want to see home runs. Well, he hit 46 of them last year. So he's exciting as an offensive player. He's exciting on defense. And what's the other thing people say? Well, I want to see a guy who can run. He stole 26 bases. The guy can run. He can hit. He can pitch. No one, no one has done this ever. And that makes him the most exciting player in sports. Great answer. Great answer. 
a helicopter's flying overhead right now. I was hoping well, it well, a little while. They see, your shirt, Jack. they see your camouflage shirt on. They think, they think oh, you're part my. of the invasion, Jack. Okay, but you, you have to think it's the different positions in sports. Both of you guys, by the way, very good answers. Very good, good answers. Uh, Josh Allen is coming into his own as an exciting player, you know, especially during the playoffs where he would take off and run with the ball. Otani is maybe the biggest box office attraction amongst team players, and that says a lot, okay? So it's how we define excitement. For example, uh, there were maybe greater players than Jackie Robinson, but when he was on third base and he'd take off the steal home, that was exciting, okay? Uh, Ricky Henderson around the bases, that's exciting to say, hey, kid, Willie Mays diving for the ball as great as he was. That's exciting. Listen, Dave Kingman, he come up to the plate. That was exciting. Uh, when I was a little kid, my mother called me for dinner, but Mickey Mantle would be up, and I would delay it. I delay it for no other player because the Mick was up. You want to see whether he's going to hit a home run. That's exciting. Fernando Valenzuela, when he came to the big leagues, that was exciting stuff. Fernando's pitching. He captivated the nation as did by the blue. I mean, but there are guys who have that short window of excitement and there are guys that have been around. Who would we really want to pay to see? Uh, I give a little edge to Patrick Mahomes right now. Just a little edge. He runs with the ball as much as any other quarterback. He makes these sensational throws. But uh, more importantly, he's the best player in the group right now. So you want to see a great player who's very exciting. What made Mike Tyson so big? He was exciting. I mean, he was a great fighter, but he was exciting. Uh, being great in itself doesn't really, like, do it for you. There was this boxer, Michael Nunn, and Bob Arum, the promoter, said, I paid him a million dollars for a 10-cent performance you know, after one of his fights, because he was boring in the way he went about winning the fight. I mean, even though I'm saying Mahomes now, we could explode. Listen, LeBron James, is he really exciting? He's great. I know when they slam, you know, he slams a dunk down, he gets some ooze and us. Michael Jordan, now, he was exciting in addition to being great. I mean, add Jordan, he'd go in the air. Dr. J when he played. Who was more exciting than him? But to narrow it down today, Otani is the biggest box office who people would pay to see. If you hear the Angels in town, you hear and you know Otani's playing, you're going to want to go to the game. You're going to want to see Otani. Let's face it. If he's not playing the Angels, I don't want to say just become another team. You can put a little argument there for Mike Trout when he's healthy. I mean, he's pretty exciting too. Uh, you know, it depends, but that these few athletes who, you know, they create excitement and a buzz. And I, I could go back to ancient history of Ralph Kiner. The Pittsburgh Pirates had terrible teams, but people would stick around to the end of the game instead of leave because they'd see, they want to see Ralph Kiner get that one last at bat to see could he get a home run. But what, but to sum it up, I'd say Patrick Mahomes to me, okay, is the most exciting, the way he can run around and do magical things with the ball. It's a good answer. Good answer. 
So anyway, so I think all three of them are good answers. And you forgot, you left out Fran Tarkin just to let you know, Jack. Um, but anyway, anyway, I mean, today's players, I don't think either one of those you could say no to, right? I think all three of those players, people would love to go watch play fo football or baseball. I know if Patrick Mahomes was in town, I could go see him. I definitely would go see him. I know if Josh Allen was in town, I would want to go see him. And if Otani was in town, I definitely want to go see him. So I think uh, – You're I right. Grant Tarkenton was the most exciting quarterback of all time, the way he scrambled because he he was ahead of his time, the way he run left, right, backwards, forwards. So right. pure excitement. So I mean, I mean, I, mean I, I think all three answers are, are, are really good. Um, today's uh, today's boxers, Jack. Who would be the most exciting for you to go see? Wow, I mean, believe you know that I should know that answer off the top of my head. Yeah, you should. But I don't, you know, I don't have a set answer. the The biggest attraction is obviously Canelo Alvarez, but for me personally, it's not must you watching with Canelo. You know, in that sense, the most, just, to be, me, it's just good fights. It's not like the most exciting, I had to name one yeah. yes. particular fighter who yes. I know is going to give me value. I think Vasily Lomachenko, he's going to move forward, punch nonstop, be in a terrific fight. So yes. if I had to pick one guy, you're pinning me down on that, I would yes. say Lomachenko. But it depends on the matchups. Oh, know? my God. Just say Lomachenko. Lomachenko. Okay, Lomachenko. Good, good I agree. question. You I, agree. Me I agree. That's very, very exciting. Okay, guys, we got one more question here that we're going to cover. And I got a, I got a different topic if we've got time left over. Um, does endorsing, you know, a lot of players endorse – products that goes all the way back to Wheaties, right? And and Mr. Coffee and stuff like that with the Maggio and dinner and all that. So do do you feel, and it goes to you first, Doc, uh, that the endorsement, you know, these athletes that's endorsing these products, does that influence people to buy them? Unequivocally, yes, without a doubt. The people who run Madison Avenue are smart. And there's millions, billions of dollars in advertising that is spent every year. They look at the numbers. And if there's a player that influences the, a product, they're going to try to get that player to influence that product. If players didn't influence whether or not people bought products, they wouldn't be advertising on the products. They would just go a different way. They'd get a, a character actor, or they'd get somebody, or they'd do a different thing. They'd get a gecko or something like that, and they would use that as, the, as their model. But obviously, players uh, bring sales because they keep getting them. I was just uh, running before the show, and I, I, I watched TV with no sound on, but Back-to-back -back commercials. I, I forget what the products were. I think one of them was a car insurance, the general. I forget what the other one was. But both of them had Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, he was he's the, the pitch man. So two different companies saying, you know what? We're going to make more money if we get Shaquille O'Neal to be on our commercial than, than if we just go with some other type of way of, of going about it. They have the uh, athletes as their spokespeople because people see what the athletes buy. They see what they endorse. And then they do the same thing. We're influenced by them greatly. That doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy the general insurance or anything like that. But I think by and large society as a whole is so absolutely positively 
players impact on products that they endorse. Yeah, I think we all agree on this. So before Jack goes, let me just add one more thing. Even if you don't buy it, you'll watch the commercial, right? And I think that's the key, right? I mean, if you're going through and you see a very famous athlete uh, on TV, and whether it's, you know, whether he's selling Subway products or he's selling, as you said, uh, Shaq, I see him all the time, and he's kind of a funny guy. And, you know, they do a funny skit with these great uh these great athletes, you're going to watch the commercial. And that's what they want you to do, right? They don't, they don't want you to skip the commercial, which we could do very easily today. And having big athletes on there kind of slows you down from doing that. So it does influence you in a lot of different ways. You right? know what? I'm, I'm just going to follow you there real fast and say when, when you guys were talking basketball and the overlapping of the careers of Michael Jordan and Larry Bird, one of the things I thought of was those old McDonald's ads where they were shooting one-on-ones, you know, off the roof, off the bar, into the basket, nothing but net, right? They, they, because they, they use those guys. Was that to, McDonald's? To, that was McDonald's, remember. yeah. Was. They use those guys to uh, to pitch a product. And I think Mac yeah, makes right. a great point that it became compelling to watch, so we watched. Till we get Mac back, we could carry the show. Is it Mac's extremely valuable. He's our starter, but we have... Uh, originally I was going to say no. Okay. They don't influence, but I was, I was selfishly thinking of myself, what I would do. I've seen a lot of commercials lately with Joe Namath endorsing health insurance, this and that. And whenever I see any athlete endorse health insurance, I think Joe Namath is a good guy, a credible guy. Nothing with Joe Namath. I figure I got my own health insurance. I'm not going to look into it. Just because they're saying something is better, you know, it's not going to influence me, you know. But then I thought to myself, too, my wife pointed out there's one product, and I'm not going to name the product, I refuse to get. Because two athletes, they're using to endorse it. And I find these couple of athletes, they're not my my cup of tea. Let's leave it at that. I just don't want to know from a product that they're endorsing. So I'm going to go out of my way actually not to get one specific product. So that does influence me. But I'm going to say, you know, level-headedly, Doc, You, I'm sure you go shopping in the supermarket from time to time, and you know what you like to eat, what you like to pick up, and there's certain things you flat out don't like. I could tell you something. I don't if there's a cereal box, you don't like the cereal, the ingredients, but if John Riggins is on the cover <laughs> of the box, you're going to score. You're getting it. You're buying it. You're buying it. I could guarantee it. If John so Riggins were on a cereal box, I would buy one <laughs> box of that cereal just to have it. Yes. I don't know where would you eat it or not. You'd probably taste it one time and then if you didn't like it, but you would just to see the box and to keep it on your shelf so you could see John Riggins from time to time. Listen, what about cooking since one food, the George Foreman grilling machine? How, you know, he was a spokesman. That was like the biggest pitch man. So many people who didn't even like boxing started to like George Foreman and they became familiar with it. And especially anyone who was a boxing fan with like uh, George Foreman. And listen, you mentioned you see Muhammad Ali, if you see him on the Wheaties box, old school. I'm like- Decon Roach killer, remember? Yeah, well, um, a van- Roaches check in, they don't check out. Yeah. That's Ali, Ali did that. 
Right, right. And people would get it. I'm thinking level-headedly. I'm not going to go out myself and buy something in particular unless I really like it. Unless it's old school. They put like an old school athlete on a box, like a Mickey Mantle. And I just like the idea of taking Mickey home with me on the box and, you know, taking a glance at the picture from time to time. Uh, yeah, you know, and it this goes along age, guys, also. The knock on these athletes, sometimes they get criticized. The sneaker business, the shoe business, is it too expensive, something that kids can't afford? I mean, but that's another issue all, all together. But, uh, yeah, you know, I was going to say no in relation to me being trying to be level-headed. But let's face it, we all have our quirks. And the athletes do have like an influence. Listen, I get Arnold Palmer iced tea sometimes. You know, I pick it up. I say, oh, Arnold Palmer is opposed to a generic iced tea. Makes Max? sense. I, I think I think Max frozen again. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, you know, you might buy something. I think there's a difference between buying a product regularly and, and buying a novelty something or other. If, if you're in the store and you saw a, a box of cereal with your favorite player on it, you might just go, you know what? What the heck? A couple of bucks. That's fun. But players, when they um, are hired to promote an, a, a product, the intention of Madison Avenue is obviously to get people to switch to that product and buy lots and lots and lots of it. So, so if Riggins ends up on a box of Wheaties, maybe I buy a box of Wheaties and I like Wheaties anyway, so I I'd eat them, but I'm not buying Wheaties just because John Riggins is, is, uh, well, you would buy it one time, you but yeah, I'm saying that you might buy it once. You go, ah, yeah, that's kind of fun. I'll get that, but yeah, yeah, but, that, well, that's what I mean. But let's say you looked at the ingredients. You didn't like any of the ingredients. So I, maybe I wouldn't even buy it then. Yeah, I mean, just the idea, you get a kick out of it. Oh, did you ever eat the, have the Reggie bar, the candy bar? I never had that. I had the Reggie bar. Yeah, and I bought the Reggie bar. It came back at, not oh, 10 bought. years ago or 15 well, years did. ago. I, I bought one of a couple of them, yeah. Right, they gave it out at one of the Yankee games. And if I tasted it one time, let's say I love Reggie Jackson. Believe it or not, I like Reggie Jackson when he was with the Yankees. Uh yeah, I, I did, even though I made an argument that Nettles Jackson was one of my favorites at the time. Well, guys, uh, guys, sorry, I, sorry, sorry I went in and out a couple of times. I had to take care of a couple of things. Oh, we um, didn't notice we didn't notice anything, Mac. We thought you were just listening. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's about right. Anyways, uh, so I, I I from what I understand, we probably wore that that subject out as we could Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so, I, I switched over now. I'm not so having a good day at the debate. That's no, all right. Don't no problem. Don't worry about it, Jack. So we got like 15 minutes left, guys. I got one one subject I want to cover with you since we went through the topics. You know, we look at the playoffs, and that's what you know, at the end of the season, even fans that aren't fans of certain sports will watch the playoffs. And to me, I'm really interested in what playoff format for what sport do you like the best, right? If you look at the NFL playoffs, you look at Major League Baseball playoffs, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and then you take March Madness with the NCAA playoffs. If you had to pick one of those, just based off the way the format is, the way that's followed, how exciting it is, which one of those playoffs, their formats, do you like the best? I'll start with you, Jeff. Uh, I prefer the NFL. I mean, March Madness has, what, 64 teams. 
you could have a great season. Basketball is a lot less predictable than football. In football, usually the better team's going to win. If they don't, shame on them. If you have a strong team during the regular season, you know to be ready for the playoffs. But for one game of basketball, the ball could just bounce the wrong way. Someone could have a hot shooting hand. I'm not crazy about the team with, you know, March Madness. March Madness itself is great as far as betting office pools and the whole thing and the fun it creates. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not doesn't do justice to the teams the same way. An example could be Gonzaga. Gonzaga's never won the national title, and they've been up there all those years, and that's how we're going to rate them on whether they've won, you know, that tournament at the end of the year. And the baseball, the wild card game, a team can be somewhat mediocre, sneak into the playoffs, and they win the one game wild card playoff. And now they're even Steven with with a team that maybe won 15, 20 games more than them. They're rewarded if they could just get by the one game playoff. There's something about that that I'm not like crazy about. And yeah, the Atlanta Braves, they won a wild card, but they were what? They won 88 games this year, regular season, as opposed to the Giants' 107 wins. That's a whooping 19 games behind. Yet the Braves are World Series champions, and the Giants are going to be nothing more than a footnote in the future. Okay? What do you think, think Doc? Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with Jack, but I think it's uh, dependent on the sport. Baseball is a game that, and basketball too, has has and so hockey too to a lesser extent has have have long seasons, and so you're really trying to pick teams based upon, in my in my opinion, the baseball playoffs should be designed to benefit the team that was the best over the long season because that's what baseball is all about. It's about that long season. Uh, you know, March Madness though, if you want to pick something that's just a lot of fun, that's just a lot of fun, but to try to choose the best team in a sport to say you're one and done. I think as Jack was saying, does a disservice to teams that are very good. Football is a little different because football, every game is one and done. You only play how many games are they up to 17 now? Right. Uh, so every game's uh, very valuable. And so their season doesn't have the same um, magnitude of a baseball season of 162 games. So I don't like a one and done wild card thing i don't even like that there's wild cards you know if push comes to shove i like the fact that the division winners used to go to the world series even though that was way before my time i I just don't like that teams that aren't as good like jack just pointed out that the braves they win 88 games the giants win 107 and they don't even reach the world series because there's all these different rounds of playoffs and to win in the playoffs takes a different skill set usually than to win over the course of a full season and i like the full season to have um the greater impact. Well, if you look at football with the wild card too, I mean, some seven and nine teams went very far. The Giants were a wild card team, and they went there. And they were nine and seven. The Giants. They went one the Super Bowl. Yes, the they the Super Bowl. They I, I think the Redskins were a wild card team, were they? When when with Reagan's? But what I'm saying, Doc, is that uh, that they were not the best team in football for the regular season. There's no doubt about that. But they still went on to win the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay just did that last year. They weren't the best team in football during the regular season and went on to win the Super Bowl. So th- that's the same as baseball to me. Yeah, 
The Redskins I mean, weren't. They they were they won the division. So okay. Guys, you know this is food for thought. When the Yankees had when the Yankees dynasty was at their. Oh, so let me finish that, and then you. Can oh, no, no, this is related. Yeah, I know, but I know, but let let me finish my who I like best. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, yeah. so you know, if you look at baseball, I agree with Doc to a large extent. There's a lot of games. Football can't do it because it's more than too much of a physical sport with practice and stuff, so they can't do it. So I agree with you, doctor. I think the NBA is ridiculous how they have so many teams in there. I understand why they're doing it, but it, it, to me, it leaves out a lot of the uh, of winning the season. Same thing with hockey. So believe it or not, I'm going March Madness. You say there's 64 teams. Well, if you take that's a very small percentage of the amount of college basketball teams there are in the country. There's there's thousands of college basketball teams out there in the country. Does that's a very insignificant amount of teams there. And like the NFL, it's one and done in the playoffs. If you're done, you're out. And like the NFL, if you have a a, a, a lucky break, say somebody intercepts the ball and runs it in for a touchdown, and it shouldn't have happened, and you were beating them all the way, you win. That's the same thing with March Madness. So to me, if you want to say the most exciting, the most riveting uh, uh championship format to me is March Madness hands down because 64 teams is no way representing how many college basketball teams are there. And normally you either got to win the division to get in or have a great record. So to me, you can get in football and go to Super Bowl and be seven and nine, get in a wild card and go win the Super Bowl. So you're not the best team in NFL that season, no doubt. So to me, that's the same thing as Major League Baseball. So if I had to pick one, the format, the way it's set up, you go home if you lose, don't care what you did, it'd have to be March Madness. Now go ahead, Jack. No, I see a point as well taken, but isn't the whole idea whoever the champion is should truly be the best team, you know, at least at that year. The point I was going to make before, and this is revisionist thinking, which I hate, but there could be fun in this case. When the Yankees dynasty was at their peak and they went to 14 World Series in 16 years, if we took a look at the teams right behind them and set up a playoff system, wild card, this and that, how the Yankees were, were not would not go to 14 World Series in those 16 years. Maybe they go to 10, I don't know. You know what What may have been interesting? One of the years they didn't go, uh, 1954, the Yankees had more wins than in all their World Series years. They won 103 games. The Indians won 111. Had the Yankees gone in as a wild card, there's a good chance the Yankees go to the World Series that particular year. That's, you know, the thing about it. And... Uh, I, that's a great question you have, Mac. But listen, we're not going to do things the way we did it in the old days. American League and National League, only one team goes. The whole idea of playoffs, it's fun. It's interesting to have a tournament for the fans. I wouldn't want to go back to the old ways. And but, but in baseball, this is the problem as opposed to football. They get buys in football, meaning... The team with the best record, the AFC and NFC, just have to win two games to go to the Super Bowl. Everyone they else, has to and they no, both they lost. did. No, they did, but everyone else has to win three. So you're giving them an advantage for their excellence during the regular season, but then they have to do the rest on their own. Yeah. But you can't do that in baseball because if you gave them a bye, 
You're hurting them by making them well, lay off because baseball is a different sport. Well, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. I disagree with that 100% because if they do have teams added to baseball, the teams will get buys and they'll be able to reset. That would be good. They will reset their pitching staff to have it right where other teams won't be able to do that yet. So I, that will be a huge advantage for the teams having a buy. If you go in there strong with your rotation set up the way you want, against a team that has to go with their second or third or fourth pitcher starting that game, you're going to have a huge advantage. So I Rotation wouldn't be set up because a guy would be pitching on eight days rest instead of four. Well, they all will be, Jack. They all will be. But at least you'll be able to go with your first pitcher. No, no, not necessarily. Uh, no, because the team that got the bye would be playing a team that just won in their first round series. And they would be playing all along. They would be sharper. You know, it's a little different. Well, what I, I don't know how true that is. No. How, how about if you went six or seven games, Jack, and you had to play the team that had to buy right away? You're going to tell me you're going to reset your if pitch? They went, if they played best three out of five, one team and went to both five, and you didn't play at all during that time, yeah. you kind of baseball go a little still. Remember the 1996 World Series? The Yankees had a long layoff, and they got slaughtered the first two games against the Braves. And Joe Torre said to George Steinbrenner before the second game, we're probably going to lose tonight, George, because we've been off a while. But then we're going to go to Atlanta, sweep there, and win. But he recognized the layoff. You know, they didn't have it together I, yet. I, I, that, that's one example. I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, I agree more that if the team gets a buy and resets their pitching rotation and this other team comes in with a third pitcher, you got a you got a hell of an advantage. Well, ten days off between pitching starts, you're not you're not gonna, throw, throw probably not gonna be throw a throw a bullpen. You can do whatever you want in those ten days. Go out and, and have a good time or have pitching sessions, whatever you want to do. That's a no, no, but with that said, anytime you get a buy, if it moves you closer to the championship series, you know, it's always an advantage in that sense. Got to be an advantage. Not all the you're, time. You're a step closer. Not with all the yeah, buy, closer, With the buy, yeah. you're a step closer. That's, 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 that's not true always. That's not true always because we just saw that this year in the NFL. That is not No, 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 but they're a step closer. They only have to, they yes, have to win fewer yeah, games. But they still, they yeah. still got to win. You still got to win yeah, the game. Of course, of course. Yeah. There you go. So, I think we're know. all saying the same thing. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> Folks, thanks for joining us on the Mac and Jack Debate Show with special guest host Dr. Paul Semendinger. We'll be back on Monday with his show at 9 p.m. Eastern called Start Spreading the News. Jack will be with me tomorrow on the big football show. Then his show will be on Monday with Bluff Fist with Frank Lotirzo. Great boxing show. Folks, have a great Saturday. We'll have the Super Bowl in about another week. We all can't wait, but we have to. So there you go. So go ahead and watch whatever you want to watch. I highly suggest you don't watch the All-Star games. Please, folks, start boycotting them until they start really playing the games again. That's what I want to see. But anyway, who am I to speak? Everybody, have a great Saturday night, and we'll see you tomorrow.